Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. We are working our way through the book of Luke and we're in Luke chapter 12 at the moment, and we're going to read this morning Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And we started this little series in the chapter of Luke, uh, chapter 12 of Luke a couple of weeks ago. Dan was here and he spoke on really about right-sizing your internal world, about hypocrisy and what's hidden will come to light and what's in light will be hidden, and our internal world must match our external world. And then we talked about the fear of God which is an interesting topic, but really is about right-sizing God, putting God in His rightful place. And when we put God in His right place, in His right size, all the people around us seem to become perfectly human size. No larger, no bigger, just as they should be. We don't need to fear people once we fear God. And then Rich spoke last week on really about right-sizing our possessions within the story of sort of now versus eternity. And we're going to pick up in verse 22 about right-sizing the story, right-sizing the story that we live in. Alastair McIntyre says, man is essentially a storytelling animal, that what separates us from the animals around us is that we tell stories, and that's how we make sense of the world. We make meaning of the world by the stories that we tell. And we like to think that we're completely rational beings and we make decisions about what we're going to do from day to day based on, you know, all the data and all the scientific evidence. But it's not true. We make decisions based out of the story that we're living in. We make decisions about the things that have happened in our life, the data points. We place them in a story and we tell ourselves where we've come from and where we're going as humans. The story that we tell ourselves is extremely important. Um, Pete Hughes, who's a pastor from London, he says, the story that you live in will determine the story that you live out. The story you live in will determine the story that you live out. In other words, the story that you tell yourself will determine how you interact with your family and those closest to you and your neighbors. It will impact your aspirations for life, like where you're heading. It will impact your vocation and your career. It will impact what you believe is possible with your life, where you go, where you travel, where you don't travel, how you spend your money, how you show up online and on social media and portray yourself. The story we live in determines the story that we live out. And with Jesus' help this morning, uh, this teaching here, I think, is inviting us to live into a bigger story, to find ourselves in a larger story. We're going to start in verse 22. Then, turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. He's talking about what he just spoke about in the previous passage. He says things like, um, life is not measured by what you own. And he says, a person is a fool to store up earthly treasure, but not have a rich relationship with God. And so in in light of that, sort of right-sizing your possessions, he says, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. 
They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, that's what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? What a brilliant little line from Jesus. Can all the things that you worry about add something, a single moment to your life? What Jesus is telling us is that worry is a terrible strategy for life. I heard someone say once that worry is like praying for something you don't want. Have you found yourself just like overplaying like a disaster scenario or a conversation with that person that you don't want to have a conversation with or that email that someone sent and how you're going to reply to it and just like destroy their argument or whatever it is. We just like worry and obsess over things. Now, just a little disclaimer this morning, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to use the word worry and anxiety interchangeably. And I'm not talking about like acute anxiety or clinical anxiety that, that requires treatment from um, professionals. I'm talking about the kind of chronic anxiety, the low-grade worry that we all face in life. They all tend to obsess over things. Worrying is obsessing over something that might happen in the future or making something that's happening currently larger than what it needs to be, just playing it over and over again. Worry is like praying for the things that we don't want. Um, I took Milo to the mini trains at Narara um, a couple of months ago. And it's pretty cute. There's like a little mini train and you get on your carriage and there's all these other kids and you go around the, the park. And on the mini train, there is a driver at the front and at the back there is a guard. And he sits on the back and he's very serious about everyone following the rules on the train. He's got a, he's got a whistle and he's got a you know, important looking vest on. And uh, this particular guard on this particular day took his job very seriously. He uh, overestimated his role. And so he was very particular about everyone following the rules. One of the particular rules that you had to follow is that you could, your kid had to be sitting on the seat. They couldn't be sitting on your lap, they had to be sitting on the seat. And we get on the train, me and Milo, and we're sitting on the train and there was a, a mum behind me and she had like a one-year-old or something that was not having the best time. He was crying. And so she brought him up from the seat onto her lap. And we're driving around the track at the moment. The guard sees this travesty of an event and starts blowing his whistle, signaling to the driver to stop. This particular driver, though, uh, was hard of hearing. And so he was just trucking on. And so old mates at the back just, just whistling, whistling, whistling. He eventually gets over it and he gets off the train and he runs to the front of the train and just whistles in the driver's ear. Just bah! The driver stops and he goes and um, yells at the mum who's struggling with her kid. And so she um, puts him back onto the seat and he's screaming, we go again. And he's having a terrible time. She's having a terrible time. And she, rightly so, I think, just pulls him back up to her lap, which is like, it's like one centimeter difference. And the baby stops crying. It's all good. Everyone's having a great time. And the whistle goes again. We stop the train. She gets a talking to. She forces child onto the seat. And we're going. Child's crying. And, um, and then one more time, she picks up child and... Uh, the whistle goes, the whistle goes, 
the train driver can't hear because he's hard of hearing and so he's whistling and the guard just gets so angry that he jumps off. He derails his carriage with his foot accidentally and so this train full of children is derailing as we're on it and the driver's got no idea. He's just, he's just having a great, great old day. And people are running from everywhere, you know, like it's a big thing because all these like kids are on the train. And the train stops and the guard just starts swearing. This is like all kids just yelling and he picks up his carriage and he just throws it and he walks away. And I can tell you in that moment, like he had overestimated the size of his role, I think. And we all tend to do this. It's a funny example, but we tend to do this is we overestimate the thing that's in front of us and we get overly obsessed about it and it becomes a much larger issue than it needs to be. And I think Jesus has an antidote for us here. Verse 27. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Solomon was... Uh, a king and has been known to be the richest man in the history of Israel. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Jesus is telling us that if you are freaking out, if you're worrying, obsessing over something, maybe it's just good to go outside and look at the birds and look at the flowers and take a deep breath and realize that everything around us is a gift. All of life is generosity. There is generosity from God around every corner. If you ever heard um, astronauts talk about the first time they go into space and the first time they see our planet from space and see the, the big dome and they, you know, there's no borders and there's just like all these different things going on in the earth and they, they talk about the thin blue line you can just see over the horizon, which is our atmosphere. And... Many astronauts talk about this like incredible moment, realizing that it's that thin blue line that's keeping us alive, our, our atmosphere. And it's moments like that that you realize everything around us, like we are on a ball in the middle of nowhere next to a flaming atomic thing called the sun that's not burning us. It's, we're just sitting on a winter's day enjoying the sunshine. And there's birds flying in the air and there's flowers on the ground realize that all of life is a gift. There is actually so much out of our control. And that can lead us towards worry. And worry is often a strategy we use to try and control something. We sort of overly obsess about it. Or it can lead us to the path of trust. Jesus says this. He says, why do you have so little faith? And often as Westerners, we read that word faith and think it means like our intellect, what we believe, our right thinking. And it does include that. But I think a better translation is trust. Why do you have so little trust? And we can look around at the birds and the lilies and the thin blue line that's keeping us alive. And it can lead us to worry because there's so much out of our control. There's, you know, the kind of global economic thing going on and there's wars and there's tensions and there's natural disasters and there's pandemics and there's personal disasters and there's health concerns and there's all sorts of stuff outside of our control. And that can either lead us towards worry and obsessing, trying to control our little thing, or it can lead us to the path of trust to trust that there is a bigger story, to trust that God holds the world in his hands. Why do you have so little faith? Our lack of control either leads us down a path of anxiety or down a path of trust. Verse 29. And don't be concerned about what to eat 
and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. Don't worry about what to eat or what to drink. Don't obsess over the things that you feel like you need. These thoughts dominate those of unbelievers. Jordan Peterson talks about that humans are aiming creatures, that we aim towards something, we think about something, and we orient our life around it, and we walk towards it, and often we get it. Not all the time, but often we get it. If we want the thing, we sort of put our energy towards it, and then we go towards it, and we get it. And um, Jesus is saying here that that sort of way of thinking dominates the thoughts of people, unbelievers, people that don't trust in the bigger story. And, you know, when you live your life just kind of going from one goal to the next, you know, that next outfit or that next brunch or that house or that family or boyfriend or girlfriend or the career, um, it's, it's fine, I guess. But when you get there, what happens when you get that thing? What happens when you get the job or you get the house? Then what? Well, you want a slightly bigger house. You want a pay rise. You want a slightly better job. And um, I've heard someone say, I heard that old saying, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Doesn't matter how much you have, how much is enough? Just a little bit more than what I have. And that can just dominate our way of thinking. It can fill our life with worry because we're always worried about the little next thing that I need, a little bit more than what I currently have. But Jesus here is telling us to right-size that. You know, when Mel and I... Um, for, for a big portion of our life, for a decade of our life, our kind of life goal, the thing that we were sort of working towards was planting a church. And then 2019 comes, we plant a church. And then after that, you start to go, well, what now? Like we've planted the church, we've done the thing that was like dominated all of our 20s. And the antidote to that, I think, is what Jesus says here. He says this, verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. It's great to have goals in life. It's great to aim towards something. But what happens when that becomes our sole focus? Our story becomes smaller. If our story just becomes about getting the right job or traveling or getting a husband or wife or whatever it is, our story is constrained. But Jesus is telling us to look up, have the bigger story at mind. The kingdom of God is one of Jesus' favorite phrases. He says it over and over again, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom really means um, any kingdom requires a king. It requires a people. It requires a culture and it requires a place. That's what a kingdom is. Any kingdom in history, you can sort of narrow it down to those things. A kingdom has a king, it has a people, it has a culture, and it has a place. And the kingdom of God, the king is Jesus. John Maxwell says everything rises and falls on leadership. It's an old leadership maxim. And he says um, everything in life rises and falls on leadership. And if that's the case, then the person that I want in charge of my kingdom the government that I'm part of, the politics, is Jesus. I think there is no one better suited to be the king of our kingdom than Jesus, the person who actually lived out love in all human history, in all of the cosmos. I think he is the best king. If Jesus is the president, the prime minister, the leader of the government, then our kingdom is in pretty good hands. A kingdom needs a king, which is Jesus. It needs a people, which is you and me. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of the kingdom. 
There is um, a bunch of other churches meeting around the coast. Followers of Jesus, different denominations, different practices, different traditions. They are part of the kingdom. There are 2.7 million believers in Sudan. There are 80 million believers in Ethiopia. They are all part of the kingdom of God as well as the person next to you. The kingdom has a king, a people, and the kingdom of God is relational and not structural. It's not about brand. It's not about denomination. It's not about actually having the right belief as much as right belief is great. The kingdom is about having Jesus as your king and then people. The kingdom of God always moves relationally. The kingdom has a king, a people, and a culture. The culture of Jesus' kingdom is an ethic of love, an ethic of justice, a way of love marked by Loving your enemy and forgiveness, marked by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, marked by self-sacrifice, taking up your cross. That is the ethic of the kingdom. And a kingdom needs a place. And I think this is the one that always trips us up, um, particularly us Christians in the West, because we think the kingdom of heaven is some place I go to when I die. And this is just sort of proving ground. This is a test on whether you go to heaven or you go to hell. But Jesus didn't think about the kingdom of heaven like that. Jesus thought about, and this is true through the whole biblical story, that heaven and earth are always meant to be married and interconnected. And they were pushed apart because we made ourselves king and not Jesus king. And so we're living in a different kingdom. There are two kingdoms at play, empire and shalom, peace, restoration, wholeness. And the kingdom of heaven, its place is eternity, absolutely, but it is also now. Martin Luther has this great line. He says that if I knew the kingdom of heaven was coming tomorrow, if Jesus was returning tomorrow, I would go and plant a tree today. Because this world and this earth, what we do here, matters in the kingdom of heaven just as much in eternity as it does now. It's all interconnected. Jesus is coming back to restore all things, a new heaven and a new earth, everything that that entails. He prayed. He taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will done here on earth as it is in heaven. This is Jesus' mission to bring restoration and wholeness and healing to earth right now. As followers of Jesus, as people of the kingdom, that's what we are to do. And the larger the story we inhabit, when we inhabit that story, that there is a king and a people and a culture and a place, then the things that we begin to worry about become smaller. They don't go away. They're still there but they right-size in the story. We still worry about all sorts of stuff, the bills we've got to pay, the mortgage, whatever it is, the career, the stuff we have to worry about. But Jesus says here, seek first the kingdom, look up, see the bigger story, right-size the story, and all that stuff will fall into place. What do you find yourself worrying about most in life? What do you find yourself obsessing over, you know, in the in the depths of the night when there's no, nothing else going on, what do you play over and over in your head? Because that is a good indication of where you're sitting in the story. And we can so easily narrow our story down to just now or just what's in front of me or just that little bit more that I want. But if we look up, look around, look at the birds, look at the lilies, remember that all of life is a gift. We are situated in a bigger, small, a bigger story. And often when we're worried about small things, it's because we're living in a small story. And Jesus' invitation to us again and again, because we so, so easily get our eyes narrowed down to right in front of us, is to look up, 
Look around. There is generosity around every corner. He goes on, verse 32, he says, So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom, to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is a gift, not something that we earn. Verse 33, So sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Treasure in heaven is an interesting phrase. And often we go to that same place again, thinking heaven is some place I go to when I die. It's eternity. It's got nothing to do with now. Now it's just a proving ground for then. So we think storing up treasure in heaven is like, you know, getting a better house in heaven. And maybe that's part of it. But I think what Jesus is inviting us into is to invest into the kingdom reality rather than just what's in front of you. A new car will eventually become scrap metal. But the more we invest in people and what God is doing, that stuff lasts forever. The king and his kingdom are everlasting. And I think I love this because Jesus is inviting us. He's talking about worry. He's talking about looking around, remembering the ravens and the lilies, right-sizing the stories, seeking first the kingdom. And then he says this, give away money. Jesus is telling us that an antidote to worry is actually generosity. An antidote to worry is actually generosity. Part of my job is public speaking. And people often say that they have a fear of public speaking. I don't really like public speaking either. Like a sort of Sunday keeps rolling around and I feel like I have another 25 minutes to stand in front of people and say something um, coherent and that doesn't, you know, get me in trouble. And I'm worried about all the podcasts I've done in the past and like what will get dug out in the future and I'll get cancelled in some way because, you know, it's never good to have a microphone in your face all the time. Um, but one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given around public speaking, because it is a fear of people, because we, we, we get fearful of what people are thinking of us, right? And someone said to me once that in order to overcome a fear of public speaking, all you have to do is get the focus off you, like how will I be portrayed? What will people think about me? Will people think I'm smart enough? Will they find me funny? You know, will they find me likable? And instead turn it on the people and, and think about how can I be helpful today? How can I help the people that are in front of me today? How can I be generous? How can I offer something of Jesus and the scriptures uh, to people today? Because that's what they need. They don't need me. They need Jesus. And that turn, it's incredible what that does. Generosity overcomes the worry of public speaking or what you will look like in front of people. Generosity overcomes worry. Uh, Mel and I were in Byron Bay and um, we were... Uh, on a little family holiday. Uh, I was doing a wedding and we we're just um, hanging on the beach. And a guy came over, a young guy, and he was obviously just visibly upset, anxious, worried, sad. He was a sad boy. He had a six-pack of beer, which I'm sure he was planning to just sink all of them. And um, he had a packet of chips and he sat on a rock close to us. And he just turned, just sort of, sort of you know, wallowing in himself. But then he turned and he gave Milo a chip and he said, watch this. And he threw it in the air and all these seagulls came and like came for the chip. And Milo just like started laughing. He was just like running around, just screaming and laughing. And you could see the shift in this guy. And then eventually he just gave Milo his whole bag of chips. He had, I don't think he'd eaten any yet. And so Milo could just throw chips in the air and all these birds came. And Melvin reminded me of someone, all these other kids came and like it was just like 
this joy from this moment. And you could see like a shift in this guy. We didn't even like really talk. I said, thank you. I like, said that was so nice. But you see a shift from just being so worried and anxious and sad to that moment of generosity and creating joy. And it just like, it lifted something off his demeanor. Generosity is an antidote to worry. And our kingdom, the kingdom that we live in, the kingdom of Jesus, operates out of abundance and not of scarcity. And we often sort of walk through the world. Scarcity is kind of how our economics works. Like scarcity creates value, right? If there's less of something, it's worth more. And so we, you know, buy the right stocks or buy the right land or whatever it is because we want to have something of that scarce resource. But uh, the kingdom works differently, works out of abundance. There's always more. And as people of the kingdom, we can live with an open hand, realizing that there's always more. All of life is a gift. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies. Look at the thin blue line that's keeping us alive. And that can freak us out or that can lead us to deep trust in Jesus. Verse 34. This is the last verse. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure, your, your, finite, your finance, your energy, your time, your attention, wherever that is, wherever you put that, there your heart will be also. We are aiming creatures. When we put something somewhere, we aim towards it and we walk towards it. Jesus is inviting us once again to put our sights on the kingdom reality, to right-size the story that we're living in. Where are you investing your time and your resource and your energy? Is it getting the next thing so that it's just, I can have a little bit more than what I have? Or is it investing in the values of the kingdom? The larger the story, the lesser the worries. And Jesus invites us, instead of down a path of worry, to worry about what I'm going to wear, where I'm going to live, the job I'm going to have, the people I'm going to be with, to actually trust that everything is gift. There is generosity around every single corner. That's just an invitation to you and to me this morning. I'd love to just finish by reading that story over you again from the message. And I love, I love the message version of this, um, this teaching from Jesus. I'd love you just to close your eyes. And just to take a deep breath and feel your lungs being filled, the gift of oxygen. When you just to relax your muscles, the tension and the worry that we're carrying in our bodies. If you feel comfortable, you can open up your hands, your palms as a sign of openness to Jesus and his kingdom and his spirit this morning. This is what Jesus says to you. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach. There's more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields. Look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance, 
but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. Don't be so preoccupied with getting, so now you can respond to God's giving. Don't be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourself a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers. A bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you almost want to be and end up being. Jesus, we're reminded that we are surrounded by generosity. The people around us, the roofs over our heads, the sun in the sky, the air in our lungs, the shoes on our feet, the grass that we walk over, the birds of the air, the flowers. Father, I pray that you would help us to lift our eyes. Oh, we so easily make small parts of the story big. I pray this morning that our worry would turn to trust. Thank you that you are happy to give us the kingdom, happy to welcome us in, to give us a place. Thank you that we find our home in you and we're welcomed into the family of God. And I pray for those of us this morning that are facing real things that we need to be worried about and we need to make plans around. We need to problem solve. You know, financial stresses or working about the job or relational tensions. And when we can't pretend that those things will go away, but I pray that you would help us to lift your, our eyes to you. Maybe right-size a story again. Maybe remember that you are coming back again to make all things new and you are making all things new Right now, your kingdom is breaking in. And so we face those problems, those tensions, those hardships, that grief, with an open hand, realizing that you are generous, that all of life is a gift. Help us to live with open hands of generosity. Help us to right-size the story 
Help us to right-size those worries that are in front of us. We need your help. We can't do that on our own. We need a constant reminder. So I pray that this week, as we walk and as we worry, that we might be drawn to the bird that flies over our head or the flower that sits next to our foot. May we be reminded of your generosity and your love. In your name, amen.